Well, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Alan Martin uh, to the congregation this morning. We, we are very, very grateful to have Linda and Alan uh, visiting with us once again. We are very, very grateful that Brother Martin has said he would uh, speak to us today. Uh, this weekend, of course, was the Affirming the Faith seminar. Jeremy's actually blessing the North Mac Church of Christ right now uh, with his gifts, and uh, Alan has uh, agreed to come over and bless us with his gifts. Uh, I actually had the privilege of working with uh, Dr. Martin for many years. He was the dean of the College of Biblical Studies at Oklahoma Christian. His picture hangs, you know, in the place where I have my uh, faculty meetings now, so I see it all the time, brother. Um, uh, Dr. Martin has a PhD from Michigan State in marriage, family, and child uh, ecology. He is a gifted counselor, gifted minister, gifted administrator, and a gifted speaker. So uh, please give your attention to Brother Alan Martin. Can you all see me? <laughs> uh, the song leader is so tall, I thought, man, they're not going to be able to see me. I have to kind of raise myself up here. But it's so good to be back with you. I, I preached here, Jim, I don't know if you remember, but many, many years ago, you had a weekend where you had the young people get together, and I had to speak to the young people at that time. You didn't trust me to speak with the adults at the time. But thank you for having me back here to do that. Um, I, I know a few people here, most of them work at Oklahoma Christian uh, University or have worked there, uh, Larry and Ryan and so Stephanie and of course Jim and others, and it was a privilege working with them, and it's, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, was at North Mac over the weekend, Friday night, we had a wonderful panel on grace and race, and, and I, I said to many people along the way over the weekend that we need to have more of those discussions because the Church of Christ, the body of Christ, needs to be uh, the one who would take leadership in this area of bringing people together. That's at the heart of the gospel, is to break down barriers and to unite all cultures, all ethnic groups, all languages in Christ as one. So it is, it is a privilege to be back with you, and so I, I want to address a topic that is very dear to my heart uh, in relation to crossing barriers and crossing cultures. This sermon will go along with it. It's not a political sermon. It's a faith sermon. So bear with me as we, we go through this. And I entitled the sermon, Let's Go Over or Let's Cross Over. Let's crossover. The term crossover is commonly used in genetics or in biology in the form of meiosis. I'm not a biologist or I don't deal with genetics, but it is a process where some genetic materials cross over or is swapped to bring about variants in some kind of our creation, in some form of our creation. And where this is evidenced is in our blue eyes and brown eyes and green eyes and all different coloration 
of our eyes. And without that crossover process in meiosis, life would be very boring. And you and I may only be looking at green eyes and not at good looking blue eyes and also brown eyes and in some cases even some black eyes. Sacrifice is made by some genetic materials when they cross over to bring about that variance, the way God, in a creation way, mandated that. That's one area in science where crossover term, the crossover term is being used. Another area where we, that you and I are well familiar with where we use the term crossover is when we refer to a departed loved one. And we say something like, they have crossed over to the other side. We say that very respectfully. And even that involves a sacrifice. It's a losing of a life. It's a changeover from one condition to the next, from the temporary to the eternal state. But sacrifice is also involved in that because we lose someone. We sacrifice someone up to death and they cross over to the other side. Those are the two places that I know of, and there are many other uh, places that we can use the term, but those are the two major places that I can recall where the term crossover is being used. And so in the context of Mark chapter 5, after a long day of teaching and healing and caring for people, Jesus then threw out this challenge to his disciples who who I know at this time was very tired, being by his side all day long. This is what he then says. Let us cross over. He wasn't talking about meiosis. This was not a suggestion of a new life destination at that moment into eternity. But that term was used in a literal sense, to cross from one side of the lake to the other, but it was also used in a much deeper sense by Jesus for the disciples to begin the process symbolically of crossing over from one point of faith to the next. Disciples probably wondered, why in the world would he want us to do this now? I mean, this is evening time. After a long day's work serving people and learning, did he really mean cross over all the way, rowing a few miles now across the lake with darkness approaching, possible danger on that lake, particularly at this time of year? And what about the other side? Did he really mean we are going all the way to the other side? Now, if you and I read this passage very, very closely, you will observe that Jesus was symbolically calling on his disciples to do a crossover of faith. Look at verse 40, back at verse 40. I'll read it to you again. He said to his disciples, while they were on the lake, in the midst of the storm, he asked this question. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? 
Do you still have no faith? You've been with me now for a while. You spend the entire day with me. You watch me do stuff. Miraculous stuff. And here we are in the midst of a storm. And you freak out. What's going on? And listen to this. He's not saying to them, why do you still have so little faith? He's saying, why do you still have no faith? So what's involved in a faith crossover? When do I know that my faith is still in the no faith mode? Can I be with Jesus for many years, many months, many weeks, and still have a faith that has not crossed over? I would say for Alan that it can be the case. And for us, that can also be the case. So let's examine this. Let's examine this. I'm not going to deal with a demon-possessed man so much as I'm going to deal with the disciples. The 12 who should know better. The 12 that should have developed in their faith. Stepwise, yes. Exposed to all of the works of Jesus and all of the preaching of Jesus and all of the teachings of Jesus. They should have by this time have gone to another level. Why are they still at the level of no faith? Why, after 20 years of being a believer, after 30 years of being with Jesus and serving God and being with his people, are some of us, or perhaps most of us, still at the level of no faith? So let's examine a very simplistic story. He's been teaching symbolically all day long by using parables. For some to perceive it and understand it and then be forgiven was the secret of the, of the secrets of the kingdom. So what can we find in the simple story of Jesus and his disciples crossing a lake? Jesus and his disciples now getting involved in the process of crossing over from one level of faith to a next level of faith. Let's look at that very shortly. So how do I know when my faith is not cross, crossed over? Let me make this first point by saying, when my faith is stuck on the storm, it's evident that I have not moved much. The storm is all you see. The storm consumes all of your focus. The storm is what paralyzes or motivates you. The storm occupies your thinking, your meditation, your prayers, your mentions, your discussions. Most of these disciples were fishermen. They were used to storms. They've seen many a storms. They've survived many a storms. 
But here they were. What's going on here? I think it's obvious from the text that Jesus expected them by now to be faith capable to speak into a storm, to quell it, to squelch it, to calm it. He was actually expecting that from them. Was it the journey to the other side that made them fearful? Was it certain beliefs they had about storms on the Sea of Galilee? Was it perhaps the, the presence of evil spirits which they believed in when storms came up, was behind, was the undercurrent of those storms? What was it? What were they afraid of? Why were they paralyzed? Why were they terrified? In my years of ministry and lay counseling and then later on professional counseling and life coaching, I have seen the paralysis of individuals when they were stuck on storms. Faith goes out the window when we get stuck on our marital storms. Our infidelity storms, our divorce storms, our remarriage storms, our child behavioral storms, our gender issue storms. And I've also seen some churches stuck on storms and unable to cross over. We look at the issues, we look at the problems, we even have fights in our eldership meetings and among our deacons and among our staff, and we cannot move on by faith. To get beyond the storms. We cannot use the, 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 the eyes of faith. And the vision that must emanate from our hearts. To see through the storm to the other side. When my faith is stuck on a storm. I may perpetually be paralyzed. And that's why God said to Moses, Moses, when the storm was ahead, or rather the sea was ahead, and the storm of an army behind him, God said, stand still. Stand still. Open the eyes of your heart to see the salvation of the Lord. And then God parted the seas. But my faith has not crossed over when my faith is stuck on the storm. But secondly, my faith has not crossed over when my faith is stuck on me. If my faith is just stuck on me, it has not moved much. Verse 38 says it very, very clearly to us. It says that Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him up, panicky, scared to death. You know, in, in our day and time, when you have a celebrity among you, you have their security around them, covering for them in case of danger. And those, those security agents are trained like, for, you. for example, our president, president of this country. When he goes anywhere, he, I mean, they write out security details for, for his uh, whatever um, 
point he's going to visit, place he's going to visit. They have security details well worked out. And those security agents are willing to give their life to protect this president. It reminds me of what happened to uh, President Reagan way back in 1981 with John Hinckley Jr. trying to assassinate him. And a guy by the name of Tim McCarthy, when the shot was fired, heard the firing of the shot, and he stood spread eagle in front of President Reagan saving his life, and he took a bullet, hit him in the hip, and they shoved the president into the car to safety. And I'm thinking these disciples, Jesus in a boat, storm raging, and they're not covering for him. Why did you take a, a bunch of buckets, disciples, and get the water out of the boat? Cover for your celebrity, the great rabbi. Why do you panic? He's asleep, and now you wake him to save you. You know why? Because their faith was stuck on themselves. Save us! Don't you care that we are drowning? Twelve guys? Stuck on me faith is a kind of faith that loves to have Jesus around in case of emergencies. How convenient. Lord, I need you now. Lord, save me now. Lord, protect my family now. Lord, bless my family now. Lord, take away my trials. Lord, don't you care if we drown? Question I ask to us as believers, what have you done for him lately? When last have you stood spread eagle in front of Jesus? When last have you given him a break? And put your faith to work. At least try. Here's the truth. Jesus cares all right. But there are times he remains asleep during a storm. To awaken you from your stuck on me faith. It's time for us as believers to cross over. The Lord's so-called so absent moments are his testing moments. The Lord's so-called absent moments are his faith evaluation moments. And he's asking us, he's asking me, will you pass the test? The reason God called us to be his disciples was for us to advance his kingdom, not our comfort, not our safety. Not our convenience. And I must get rid of the stuck on me faith. And start crossing over. So how do I know when my faith has not crossed over? Thirdly, I say to you. My faith has not crossed over. When my faith is stuck on. Avoiding the other side. I think one of the key reasons why they came up with all kinds of stuff and Jesus save us and they were hoping he was going to say, guys, this is too dangerous, let's just turn back. Because there was something about the other side 
that was too threatening to them. What was it? The other side in Jesus, they had all kinds of negative and unholy connotations. The other side of the Sea of Galilee was believed to have been populated originally by the descendants of seven Canaanite nations that Joshua had to drive out of Israel or the Promised Land. And historically, those who now lived on the other side in the Decapolis, those ten combined ten cities, historically those pagan nations worshipped Baal, sacrificed and ate pigs. We'll see evidence of that in the story. And used sexual perversion and child sacrifice in some of their worshipping. The Jews considered the practice and values of the people of the Decapolis to be idolatrous and detestable. And the conservative Jews who lived in the northern region of the west side of the Sea of Galilee hated people, they really hated people on the other side and never even wanted to mention the other side for fear that even the mention of it would, would make them unclean or, un, or, or defiled. In addition, Alexander the Great established the ten cities, the Decapolis, in 332 BC and populated them with soldiers and their families in order to promote the Greek lifestyle, Hellenism. That hedonistic lifestyles, self-centered pleasure-seeking, revelry, sexual perversions, etc. No wonder they didn't want to go to the other side. Jesus understood what it meant to be on the other side. Just before chapter 4 of Mark, when you go back to chapter 3, the religious leaders of the day said to him, you cast out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. You're not like us. And they placed him on another side. And he felt it. His own, his family came and said, Are you crazy to speak like this, to do this stuff? Are you crazy? Even his own family placed him on the other side. And Jesus understood the meaning of being on the other side. And he wanted to expose his disciples to a form of compassion for people on the other side. And hence this trip, hence this journey, hence this challenge. Not just the physical challenge of rowing a few miles to get to the other side in the dark of night, but a, but a few miles of moving our faith slowly, progressively, but surely to embrace people on the other side. They told Jesus he was a drunkard. He was a sinner. He loved to be with sinners. He loved to hang, hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes. They put him on the other side. He was never accepted by the Jews in authority, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. To them, he, like those sinners, was unclean, off limits, and not worthy of their religion. 
He did not cut the mold. He did not look the part. He did not act the part. He would never make the religious cut of the day among the conservative establishment. In their minds, never. So why did he want to take his followers to the other side? It was to break through their faith of avoiding those who lived on the other side. And I want to say to the church, we live in an era and in a culture and in a society where we have scores of people living on the other side. And it's time for the eyes of the church and the eyes of each believer to open up. And begin to see what you normally don't see. And begin to touch what you normally don't touch. And begin to go where you normally don't go. And to begin to embrace those who you normally do not embrace. And allow your faith to stop avoiding the other side. That's how we cross over. And finally... When my faith is stuck, God cannot use me to advance his kingdom. This journey of Jesus with his disciples to the other side was for darkness of a lot of light to press into darkness. For some inroads to be made on the other side. And what is so, so Unique to me about the story that when Jesus touched the shore on the other side, nothing is said about the disciples getting out of the boat. Nothing is mentioned about them being by his side. He went there. A demon-possessed man ran towards him. Crazy man cut himself every day living in the tombs. Possessed by legions of demons. Several hundreds of demons inside of him. And Jesus just confronts the man. Does his healing. Drives the demons out. Send the demons into pigs. And then they get back into the boat and go back to the other side. To the original side. And I'm going, um... You mean all this trip, all the drama, all this facing storms, just to do one little healing and then go back? And I, I submit to you that it goes much deeper than that. It was for the disciples he did this. It was for the crossing over of their faith he did this. It is okay to touch the unclean. It is okay to step on unclean territory. It is, it is okay to take the risks with your faith. It is okay to cross over church. I think we need more crossings over. And I'll close with this little story, and then the lesson is yours. 
society was in upheaval, and one fella, one fella, whose eyes were eyes of faith, and I'm not talking about a member of the Church of Christ, I'm talking about the person who started the Salvation Army movement by the name of William Booth, when he and his heart was stirred by the needs of the poor of London, when he realized that most churches were not doing anything to reach the undesirables of society, the drunkards, the morphine addicts, the prostitutes, and the poor, he set out to reach them with what he called the three S's. Very deep, listen, very deep. He reached out to the other side with the three S's. Soup, soap, and salvation. Amen. And man, you and I need to get there. In his 80s, he became blind. His son Bramwell came to him and said, Dad, it's time for you to pack this up now. Not, don't do this stuff anymore. Because you cannot see. Your eyes are closed. And this was William Booth's response to his son. He said, Bramwell, God must know best. I have done what I could for God and people with my eyes. Now, I shall do what I can for God and the people without my eyes. Because he had this heart of faith. And that's what you and I need to cross over. To help humanity, to help society, to press with our light of Jesus in us into the darkness of Satan's domain. Amen? Let's do that. God bless you.